0: Welcome along to the Make It Count podcast. My name is David. My name is Matt, and we are the Taylor Bros. Indeed, we are. And today, we've decided we're going to talk about sort of good grief. Uh, so, Matt, do you want to kick us off with this idea?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just think that grief, uh, sorrow, is something that you don't have to live long in this world before you are touched by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or someone that you love is touched by it and we are having conversations about what it means to live with purpose and intention and how do we make this life count and i think we want to focus on yeah in today's conversation how can we be purposeful intentional when it comes to grief when it comes to sorrow certainly i think in our british culture uh, modern western democracy uh, individualistic society where the the story or you know in the states the the paradigm is the pursuit of happiness we're, we're very good at pursuing lots of things i'm not sure we are collectively or even individually very good at processing grief mm-hmm. and dealing with that uh either our own or people we love and friends and, and so we don't know what to do when suffering strikes and people are grieving
0: yeah so it's a lot about emotion really and i suppose one of the things that you often hear people talk about is like oh are you, are you feeling positive are you feeling negative you know we cast these like the emotions into positive and negative negative. and i remember coming across a grid i think i was sent it by somebody and i can't remember where it was from but they they had like a four axes uh, or two axes sorry um, and and it was high energy, low energy like on the y-axis. I think yeah, the vertical, and, the, and then in the x-axis, it was pleasant and unpleasant. And and I thought that was a much more helpful sort of idea that we have these, hey, high energy pleasant emotions. That's like joy. That's excitement. Those sorts of things. And you have low energy pleasant emotions. That's serene. That's peace. That's calm. That's relaxed. Then you have high energy, unpleasant emotions. That might be anger, frustration, and there's ranges, obviously. And then you have low energy, unpleasant emotion emotions, which is sort of grief, sadness, sorrow. And that's what we're talking about today. And I think that's the I think that framing it of often grief and sorrow, they are unpleasant to feel. For most of us, that means they're uncomfortable. Not for everybody. Some people are really comfortable in those spaces potentially too comfortable i'm not sure if that's a a thing but (laughs) um many of us like you said we we don't want to front up to the discomfort of of those spaces and i think that's something that is interesting and maybe worth talking about a little bit absolutely and i i think part of it
1: maybe maybe this is on the nose but increasingly in in a world where you have um A lot of our engagements are increasingly digital online and there are moves toward augmented reality virtual reality you know metaverse existence maybe something that's driving that is a ultimately a desire to escape the hard realities of life um and something a quote that i came across when um just looking into this watching a few videos and uh, they do make you tear up when people are talking about their own grief but there was this one woman's insights. So I thought was really help- helpful. She said, "There's, there's a helplessness when you watch someone you love suffer, because there's nothing you can do. So in the end, you just have to show up and listen. Mm-hmm. And that middle bit I thought was interesting. Or that word, at the, the beginning as well, helplessness. There's nothing you can do. Ultimately, when suffering occurs, whatever that is." Um, when there's then grief there's a loss something has been taken something is separated uh, irreversibly uh, ultimately you know death is a separation you know we can't reach across that divide and they can't come back as far as we are um, in 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 our experience at the moment and so it's out of our control and a lot of i think our maybe a lot of the drives in our cultural mindset and our our pursuit are either to seek to take control of things the reality the environment or to distract ourselves from the fact that we don't have that and to say I'm going to distract myself from the reality that ultimately one day I'm going to die and everybody I love is going to die and all of the things that I've worked hard for are going to be taken from me uh, that is a really harsh reality and I think that again something else I was listening to Someone was saying, um, I think it was like a psychologist or a a psychiatrist, and they were posed this question of, you know, if you what is the effect of like truly staring into reality? You know, what would happen to you? And he kind of said, Yeah, if if you stare too long at reality as it really is, you will probably lose our concept of sanity because it's just heavy. There's so much that is wrong and so much that is painful and hurting so i think some of our maybe as a corrective for what we instead of running instead of escaping instead of numbing or instead of seeking to grasp control over that which we don't grieving uh which is dealing with that sorrow dealing with that suffering that that separation is the process of as someone else said honoring sorrow it's a dealing of it's it's processing it and then ultimately, there'll probably come a point where you release it. So I don't have control over this.
0: Yeah, and it seems that a lot of grief or maybe sorrow is around loss. And this idea that something, someone has gone, uh, a person has died or a pet or or even a dream that you had wasn't fulfilled and can no longer be fulfilled. The The way you imagined the future to be isn't. The way that it is and so all of these can be losses and i suppose maybe that's one of the reasons that we don't like change is that there's this idea of time time keeps moving forward you, you can't jump back no matter how much you want it will never be the same the experiences made the decisions that we make the the life that we live means that we we only really move forward through time i know there are different. Ways of viewing time, but that would be most of our experience of it. Whether um, there are other theories that all time happens simultaneously, but mostly we we our experiences we move through time forward, and that yeah. brings change, change to our bodies, change to our relationships, change to every part of us. Which means that who we were before or the relationships we had before are not the same for whatever reason, and and so maybe that is some of the pushback. I suppose how do you deal with those losses or how do you grieve?
1: Great question. I suppose this is one of the reasons why I, I'm happy to have this conversation, because I feel like I am I'm not there, you know, I haven't got the answers and the half the conversations we end up coming up with are because it's like, oh, this is something that is we, we want to learn and grow in. Um, and so Are uh, you saying
0: we're explorers, not experts?
1: Absolutely. We are not a sage on a stage. We're <laughs> the guide on the side or not even that. We're just walking along as well. So, yeah, one of, the, one of the, the hesitations I suppose I had about going into this co- conversation anyway was I kind of look through my life and I go, well, I don't feel like I've had any huge, you know, bereavements, or or things which have happened that are on the scale of just horrendous suffering um, that people have, you know, whether that's um, a bereaved family member, or um, you know a breakup of a, a deep relationship, or you know uh, even suffering the loss of you know body functions through yeah, accidents, you know. Uh, so I I have been spared. I think, probably the vast majority of the the, the sort of suffering that people have had. Um, but that doesn't mean I haven't experienced no grief and no sorrow and no losses, um, although it might not be as intense as, as others have experienced. And so I, how do I deal with it? I suppose I'm trying to, to learn to deal with it better. One of the things we spoke about in the, the New Year episode was kind of thinking about how to reflect in the new year and how to think about the year ahead. And a couple of years ago, I came across this uh, practice, the set of questions called, I think, called the Pascal cycle. Um, I heard from it from John Mark Comer. Um, and one of the questions is just, you know, name your losses. What are the things that you have lost this year? Uh, and and grieve them. And then also later on, it says, you know, now now bless those things that you have lost. Uh, not not um, not just release them, but actually bless them for what they were when you had them, and in doing that, then release it and say, this is no longer the reality of my existence. Yeah. And they were good for when I had them, and I can bless that, but now I let go and release, and I have to then also then accept the things that I have gained.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose there's a Susan Kane. Have you heard of Susan Kane? She sort of blasted to fame. I think it was in 2012 when she wrote the book Quiet. Uh, how to be introverted in an extroverted world, something along those yes. lines. So she's written another book, uh, similar but different, called Bittersweet, and it's this idea that joy and sorrow are the same experience, sort of similar, like it's the same, like the same coin, two sides of it, and that only because we can experience those maybe more unpleasant emotions of sorrow and pain can we more fully experience joy and um, the beautiful things in the world. Mm. One of the things in sort of a book summary I briefly looked at was this idea that we've mostly come across before, but it's how can you transform your pain into beauty? And I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me about this TV programme that they were quite enjoying. It's a documentary, and it's all about this teacher who has Tourette's and how she's able to teach and, you know, what that looks like as a teacher who's sometimes... um, shouting out things or saying things that uh, are not appropriate. And then the person was telling me, it's like, well, you know, this person is really passionate about the Tourette's cause. And it's like, well, of course they are, because that's their pain point. You know, how many stories have we heard of people that are cancer survivors that are now, you know, and so, you know like advocates uh, they're all about raising money for research or someone in their near family member has has died because of it and that pain is transformed into a mission or a purpose and I, I think that when we when we don't process our grief and our sorrow we probably hold on to it and actually what's that old thing like hurt people hurt people And that, But actually, if we process it, if we experience it, we can then maybe be a part of transforming it. Or if the pain is even too painful to maybe transform, use it to be creative. Uh, And, uh, you know, how much great art and music has come about because of of pain and suffering. And I think that was one of the things that she talks about in her book. It's like, if your favourite song is sort of like a happy song, your people listen to it on average like 175 times if your favorite song is like a sad song 800 times is how wow. many times you listen to it so you're, it's just this depth of uh experience that might come from ex- those more negative things that you resonate with um what, what are you hearing there um
1: mm, well that's fascinating about the, the the sort of the sad song being so, almost what six or seven times more listened to than people's favorite happy song. Mm. Yeah, and I think that just goes back to what I said at the beginning. Ultimately, like suffering, sorrow, and grief, unless you are, you know, an infant, I just a universal experience of what it means to be human in this world. Uh, and so that's and that's why. You know, good art that doesn't just gloss over, uh, doesn't just pretend everything's good, but actually goes, yeah, that, yeah, and those are some of the most moving either pieces of music or poetry or literature that handles the painful and the good, and and manages to to merge them as we experience it in real life. And uh, it's really interesting you raised that that book by Susan Kane. I I was thinking about this the other week and just like bittersweet. It's probably one of my favourite words, actually, I just, because I think it is such a good experience of like what it means to be alive in this world. There is bitterness in the hardness, but there is sweetness in in the, the, the small things of like today. The sun is shining, the fa- the flowers are still blooming. Um, there is warmth in the air. Life is renewing in in the northern hemisphere, spring, and and so I, that's beautiful. But there is bitterness you know i only have to turn on the news to see war is still raging famine is going drought is is is, is raging in, in other places and 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 strife at home as well so isn't isn't nostalgia
0: maybe a part of like bittersweet is this idea that at the moment i don't like my life so it was better back then and it's just it's like oh i'm kind of grateful for what was then but that's only because now it doesn't feel so good or like the bittersweet of like hoping for a better future, but because now it doesn't feel good, or, or actually really being grateful for what you have right now because then wasn't so good. And it's just this like, uh, that that like you said, I think it captures a lot of what our life can be like sometimes.
1: Yeah. Uh, to turn the conversation just slightly, something that I was thinking of when just thinking about this was, you know, ultimately like, what a, what does the bible have to say about this what does the scriptures have to say and there are sort of three three books that are right next to each other in the old testament or what would what would be termed the hebrew bible um proverbs ecclesiastes and job sort of commonly known as wisdom literature and i i would love to just read a couple of bits from each of them because one of the things that that can often come up a question i think everybody does ask is ultimately like just like why does suffering happen and especially why does it happen to good people and um, why do good things happen to bad people as well um and so something i came across recently was that apparently um in the when when the canon of the old testament was kind of being rounded out this was like a long 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 time ago the last book that was most hotly contested was proverbs because they said if you read Proverbs as a book of promises, it's not true. It's a, it's a load of hogwash. But if you read it as general principles, as this is generally the way the work, world works, then it is true. So here we go. Here's a, a couple of verses from Proverbs 28, 25 and 26. A greedy person stirs up conflict, but whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. The one who trusts in himself is a fool, but the one who walks in wisdom will be safe. So you can see like it feels like a promise like oh if I walk in wisdom I'll be safe from the pain of the world if I trust in the lord I will prosper. Well generally if you do good by god and by other people people will treat you the same but that's not a promise. And so you you move into the next book it's Ecclesiastes and at the beginning in chapter 4 I just read a few That this is this is a bit of a a lashing thing. So again I observe all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. So I commended the dead, who have already died, more than the living who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Like so he's going, you know, there are there's no one to comfort those who are suffering under, you know, all the the oppression done to them. So it's better to be dead to not feel it. And I think we live in, a, in an age where, sadly, lots of people are believing that message um, and, and are hearing and feeling that, and that's moving people to um, to take drastic action. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I, to, to jump in briefly, I remember listening to a podcast a little while ago, and uh, the host was basically talking about how their par- her parents weren't qualified to be parents and they ended up getting divorced and she said they sh- they didn't like ask me if I wanted to be born oh, that's a bit of a strange thing but ultimately she was like my life has been so full of like pain and ex- that experience has been really tough and they they weren't like very in her experience good parents for whatever reason she was like yeah why am I born like <laughs> it'd be better if I wasn't born is kind of what she was saying it's like well yeah. that's really like you said yeah. that we I, that sign, it kind of sounds crazy, like to, but also like you said that's where a lot of people
1: are coming from now. Yeah, yeah. And was, I mean, and he presses, he goes even further because it, it's, you know, I think it is, it is something that more and more like of people are literally feeling the this, um, the the truth of the statement. You know, ultimately, it's just it would be better if I wasn't alive because I wouldn't be feeling this suffering and I wouldn't be burdening the other people or whatever. But he goes even further. He goes, actually, better yet is the one who's never been born because they've never seen any of the evil. Um, And then you hop over to Job and the story of Job obviously is he's a righteous man. And then all this suffering comes upon him. And the beginning of chapter three, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day he was born. He said, I wish the day I was born would be lost forever. I wish the night they said, it's a boy had never happened. I wish that day had remained dark. I wish that God had forgotten that day and not let any light shine on it. I wish that bitter day had remained dark as death, covered with the darkest clouds. And on and on. And he keeps going. And I think just what this deals with is it's like that reality of when, when the crap hits the fan in your life, and it's the people that you love, or yourself, ultimately, we're, <laughs> we're left with the reality of, this is so bad. I just wish I was not here to ex- experience it. And it's interesting that both ecclesiastes and Job, the author of, you know, basically go. Actually, it's better just not if you've even been born, let alone like to be f- to be in sort of what we call rest in peace, like in peace after It's like it's better just to not have I- experienced any of it. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's an honesty there that maybe we, as in our culture, could deal with reckoning with again and going, yes, we want to help those who are suffering we want to be there for those who are feeling these things, but also to to validate that that's not a new feeling and that's something that every human who has ever who's ever lived and suffered has has ultimately dealt with something of that
0: and this is i think where we're trying to probably go with the conversation because i i listened recently to andy crouch talk about how with his kids they've always talked about how money is insulation or bubble wrap and that actually that that money can insulate you from the experiences of the world because it can offer you security, it can offer you comfort and convenience, but it so it can insulate you from some of those negative experiences. He also then said that means that's why you see many people who are very rich chasing the extremes, the sort of like, how do I get the high, the the sort of like, sport because they're so insulated from the human experience and so protected from it that they can't actually experience emotions very well and I thought it was quite interesting and I suppose a lot of you could look at a lot of our experience of the world is that we're trying to insulate ourselves from those things and protect ourselves from them which maybe cuts ourselves off in some ways from connection with other people because there's a great connection happens when you share a laugh with somebody but there's a deep moment like you talked about earlier when all you can do is just be with somebody and weep with them be present be a witness to that moment because there's nothing you can actually do and that you know it's like oh it's what you know people say you know you know who your real friends are when when it's difficult and it's like well, there's something about that isn't there when when we're open with our pain with our grief with our suffering who's going to step in and be with us in those moments they don't have to hear it they don't even have to be comfortable with it themselves <laughs> but actually just to be present and I suppose that's one of the things that maybe we're wrestling with is just like oh we we've grown up probably in quite insulated cultures where we try and insulate ourselves from the pain and from the from grief and from those unpleasant emotions and the cost of that and actually to go well what would happen if instead we leaned into that we took some time to process that and express it more wholly more beautifully to transform it to to create from those places yeah
1: yeah 100%. 100% and i think part of this what's coming up in my mind again is yeah you know, the word the, the term ptsd is bandied around a lot post traumatic stress disorder um there are many people who have experienced that and genuinely traumatic experiences will probably bring something of that up but there's a lot of people who have also experienced that actually post traumatic growth and like even after having travelled through the ptsd and and so th- there is this element of when suffering happens, how do we grieve well? And there, is, you know, there are people who have written about the stages of grief. And something again, I was write- reading, they were saying, you know, the stages aren't supposed to be this step by step, you know, linear journey. It's often cyclic. It's often you go back to the beginning again. And even the best of us have to re-begin re-be- anew. And I think that's that's the truth. It comes in waves, doesn't it? And I think anyone that's experienced any kind of loss. You go in waves and it's cyclic. But yes, it's. I think it's in the community, in community that we find true healing. And, and that's where I want to be better at helping others who I know in my life are suffering and struggling and grieving and to go, how can I move towards them, not in a way that's overbearing, not in a way that I've got the answer, I'm going to fix it, but in a way that I'm just here with you. And I mean, going back to that Job story, the way when his three friends turn up, they're, they're at their best. When they turn up, they sit down and for seven days they don't say anything and they just cover themselves in dust and ashes. It's only mm-hmm. when they started speaking that they messed it all up. <laughs> so th- that's kind of how I want to be in this world, a little bit better, moving towards I'm with you in this. I think because of the, the worst thing, I think, if you're suffering and you're grieving mm-hmm. and, yes, you people don't know how to say anything or how to respond, but is then just the silence because then you're just suffering alone which is even worse
0: so let us know how you grieve or what your views on grief are do we do it well do you do it well do you find it difficult pleasant unpleasant there's lots of stuff we touched on as we said we don't feel like we're experts in this maybe we're explorers we're riffing on some things and trying to work it out ourselves so um yeah let us know what you think and and your inputs and insights but I think that's all for this week so go make it count